today on Ag News Daily. Have you ever watched Willy Wonka? You know, the fizzy lifting drink or whatever? Like, yeah. that's what I feel like things are. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here with today's episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am joined by co-host Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad, Mike. How about you? You know, I've got I've got a rock in my shoe, so to oh. speak. I've got something that's bugging me. What's that? Please tell us. Are you familiar with the restaurant chain Carl's Jr.? Yeah, it's like Hardee's. Yeah, I think they're the same... The same restaurant, just one's called Carl's Jr. out west, and then Hardee's here in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, when I say Hardee's, what do you think of? Disgusting fast food. But huge servings of meat, right? I guess. I don't know. I don't really eat at Hardee's. Oh, they, they do have several, several good burgers. But um, what's bugging me is that Carl's Jr. has just announced they are going to add Beyond Meat that vegan imitation meat-like product to their menu. They say they're going to sell a meatless version of the famous Star Burger for $6.29 at most of their restaurants. And again, these are in the West and the Southwest predominantly. But they say that customers can order any burger with the Beyond Burger patty for an additional $2 to get basically a compressed salad instead of meat. I didn't even know that that was... It was out for commercialization yet. Well, apparently it is, and Carl's Jr. is uh, is going to be selling it for quite the premium. There, two bucks for a fake meat burger just so, boggles okay. my mind. Here's my thought process on this, and this is I hope, I'm not trying to offend anyone because there's nothing wrong with eating fast food. I eat it, you eat it, people eat it. Heck yes, I but eat it. But the people that eat it, for the most part, the people that eat it consistently, I should say are not people, in my opinion, that are going to give a crap about eating a meatless meat patty. Like, they're not the, like, health-conscious people that I would assume would eat something like this. Yeah, maybe they're trying to attract a new market segment into the restaurant. I don't know. You're right, though. It does seem odd. Because there is a really strong correlation between low-income people and obesity or, you know, like non-healthy people. And those are the people that are eating fast food by and large. Not everyone, like I said, I mean, a lot of people eat it when they're on the road and traveling. But like the health conscious people or the people that really care about eating non-GMO or organic, blah, 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 are not the people that are eating at Hardee's. Right, right. You know, I could see Chipotle doing something yeah, like this. I could too. You know, that's a, it's a more high end. You're going to spend a little bit more money. I suppose. I've never eaten at Chipotle because I refuse to, but um, they certainly look a little more expensive than like a Taco John's. Right, exactly. Yeah, so for an extra two bucks, you can have a vegan burger now at Carl's Jr. When, I will be interested to see if they roll this out into uh, Hardee's as well. Yeah, when is it um, When's it happening? Oh, let's see. It's uh, coming out this year. Um don't have an exact date. Okay. I was going to say, if I'm traveling somewhere and I see that on the menu, like I want to get it just to try it and see if it's gross or good. Absolutely. You should do that and report back to us. I will. I am not going to. <laughs> okay. I will. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was just what was bugging me. I'm glad I got that out of the way. Good. Me too. Glad to make you happy. 
Yeah. We're here to what serve you. What about on you. the news front, Delaney? Let's see. It's a slow news day. I mean, honestly, I hate to admit it, but I feel like a lot of news is generally garnered by the government and policy and whatnot, but the shutdown just continues to um, stop a lot of a lot of news going on. However, I think the big story out today that has caused a little bit of excitement in the soybean markets, not a ton, but a little bit of positivity is the Chinese and American trade negotiators who began talks in Beijing just today. We saw China's economic czar, Vice Premier Liu He, dropped in and gave a couple comments to reporters, as well as a former vice commerce minister who said, quote, these talks will have a positive outcome because both sides are trying to deal with the issue in an active and practical manner. I'm not saying there could be positive results. I think there definitely will be. Oh, well, that is confident. Yes. And then uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross told CNBC today that, quote, there is a very good chance that we'll get a reasonable settlement that China can live with, that we can live with, and that addresses all the key issues. Hmm. So, interesting, well, yeah. Yeah. As it stands, however, the 25% import tariff for American soybeans into China still stands. Mm -hmm. However, we also had news today that Chinese state-owned firms bought at least three cargoes of soybeans, and that would be 180,000 tons. Uh, one trader said the total was closer to 15 cargoes, or about 900,000 metric tons, but with the government shutdown, we don't have USDA flash right. sales alerts, so we don't have any kind of official confirmation, just mm -hmm. uh, two of these traders that say, yep, yep, China's been buying from us. So we do have that right in conjunction with the trade talks getting underway. Um, yeah, hopefully that helps keep things moving forward. I wonder if once the government's back up and running and we get reports back up and running, will they go back and release the information about shipments and sales during this time of shutdown? In years past, and listeners correct me if I'm wrong, but if I think back to the 2013 shutdown, they don't go back and issue basically post-dated reports. Mm -hmm. They'll just update with the official export numbers ah. into the first report they issue. Okay, so they'll give like a current marketing year update. Yep, yep, hmm. and it'll it'll jump by, you know, 900,000 tons if that's what China ended up buying mm -hmm. or, yeah, whatever. Interesting, okay. Yeah. Well, we have not only Beijing trade talks going on this week, but we also have trade talks going on with the EU, between the EU and Japan, High levels from the EU and Japan will both be in Washington, D.C. this week for bilateral and trilateral talks aimed at forming closer ties, as well as, of course, strengthening plans to deal with China. I thought that that was interesting, that that's one of the points of their uh, discussions, is how to strengthen ties with China and, I guess, from the way I understand it, hold them more accountable. So the EU Trade Commissioner, Cecilia Malstrom and the Director General Jean-Luc Demarty are scheduled to sit down with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer on Tuesday to lay kind of what reporters are calling the foundations for a trade pack, which, of course, unfortunately, as we know, probably will not include agricultural issues. Yes, but the EU is using ag issues to get in good with Robert Lighthizer. They mm. issued the commission, who's heading in for this negotiation, issued a press release noting that EU has 
increased their soybean imports by 112 Mm percent in the second half of 2018. And they say that the U.S. share of the EU market is now just about 75 percent. And uh, yeah, so they're floating these numbers around trying to kind of butter up Mr. Robert Lighthizer, it sounds like. So 75 percent of 2018 soybean purchases came from the U.S.? Yes. Yeah, yeah. roughly. Yeah. Roughly, almost 75%. That's a pretty substantial increase. It certainly is, 112% over the second quarter of 2017. So it is, uh, you know, still, still, you know, you hate to say it, kind of a drop in the bucket. I mean, yeah, compared yeah. to what we go through and what the Chinese go through. But, hey, you get enough drops in the bucket, eventually she fills up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, Delaney, I'm going to be honest with you. That was all the news I had for today. Do you have any other stories that are jumping out at you? Um, I do have a couple of other quick updates here. As we look at what's going on in D.C., following a final vote by his Democratic colleagues on Friday, Congressman Colin, Colin Peterson officially was elected the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. And no surprise there. I think we already knew that that was coming down the pipeline. Um, And then I just want to give a quick update because I know last week, Mike, you mentioned kind of what's been going on in Brazil with uh, their, I guess, their EPA or their Environmental Protection Agency and uh, redesignating basically lands that have been previously protected into uh, converting them into potential farm ground. Well, the head of Brazil's Environmental Protection Agency, Obama, resigned on Monday after attacks from the new president, Bolsonaro, Not only did Bolsonaro criticize him uh, for policing that the basically the uh, farm or the uh, Amazon rainforest ground, but also said that the Obama agency person um, who has led the agency since 2016 was using the agency's budget on like vehicle rentals and pickup trucks and a lot of he calls it like you know, unuseful or wasteful things, wasting the taxpayers' dollars on these wasteful things. So we saw that happen just this this morning, Monday morning. So I don't know. Okay. My question now is like, so this person was the one that kind of ruled the policing of rainforests and making sure that that ground didn't get turned into farm ground. But with that person stepping out of that role, I don't know who's going to step in. And I'm not sure how Brazil's climate works, but... Will Bolsonaro just be able to appoint someone to that position who sides with him on this issue? Well, most of or at least a fair number of that Amazon rainforest ground has already had control of it transferred over to Blaromaggi and the agriculture mm. department mm-hmm. down in Brazil. So him resigning, I mean, but, I assume there's still a lot of Amazon out there that this guy was overseeing, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good what? question. Brazilian <laughs> listeners, we know we've got you <laughs> out do. there. We see you download us. Um, give us a holler. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what this means to you in the country. Yeah, that would be interesting. We'll have to find a Brazilian to get on to discuss this. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, why don't we discuss the markets for the day? How's that sound? That sounds great, Mike. Let's do that. 
Let's do it. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, there's still plenty of time in 2019 to put your marketing plan together and stick to it. It's a resolution you can keep by calling our friends at Zaner. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. And today is Market Monday. We'll be talking with Angie Setzer here in just a second, but let's see where we wrapped up for the day. Beans and cattle are the only green on the screen today. Starting with the corn market, the March contract down three quarters of a cent at 382 and a quarter. The May also down three quarters to close at 390 and a quarter. Soybeans January contract up two and three quarter cents, finished at 912 and a quarter. The March contract also up two and three quarters to finish at 924 and a quarter. Chicago wheat took a little bit of a step back from last week's rally. The March contract up a quarter of a penny at 516 and three quarters, with the May down one and a quarter cents to finish at five. 21 and a half. Looking over to livestock, seeing a rally in live cattle. The February contract up $1.2750 at $123.20. The April contract up $1.0750 to finish at $125.07 and a half. In feeder cattle, the January contract was up $1.10 on the day at $146, with the March up $1.0750 to finish at $143.90. Slight weakness in lean hogs with the February contract down a nickel at 61.90. The April down 37.5 cents to finish at 66.37.50. And the dairy market took it on the chin today. In class three milk, the January contract was down 10 cents at 14.15 with the February down 16 to wrap the day at 14.58. Before we begin our conversation with Angie Setzer, let's get a word from our sponsor for hashtag Market Monday. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday, and we are joined today for this first Market Monday of 2019. I think, by our friend, Angie Setzer, the goddess of grain. Angie, how are you doing today? I am great. How are you doing? I am fantastic. It's warm. It's a little rainy. It's a little muddy. But hey, it beats negative uh, 30 degrees and uh, blowing yeah. snow. <laughs> I will take it uh, all day. Well, yeah, it does. It beats the blowing snow and uh, minus 30. So I will take it. Although I would be pretty happy if my mud would freeze up. That would be nice. <laughs> yes. yes. Angie, break but, it down for us. What's going on in your neck of the woods? It's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast, and you're up in what part of Michigan, remind us? We are in the center of the mitten. So basically, like, the Lansing area okay. is the headquarters of the company here. Um, so it's it's multifaceted this year. Um, if you like variety, come trade cash grain in Michigan because do I have, you know, a deal for you. So we got some quality issues uh, more so than anything here locally. Um, and then, you know, obviously, well, locally and then up into the thumb, a lot of um, to the south here, a lot of um, in other areas, uh, you know, not so bad uh, quality wise, but just kind of a back and forth, a lot of different market structures according, you know, because of that. Uh, hey, if you can guarantee this part to uh, VOM or this quality of grain, then we'll pay you this. And if it's not, then I guess you're out of luck sort of deal. So just kind of dealing with uh, back and forth stuff. A lot of splits came with this year's bean harvest. You know, you, you try to dry 
uh, 22% moisture beans as quickly as possible to keep harvest open when we have those two-day windows between, uh, you know, September 20th and December 31st. It seemed like bean harvest went on forever. So we, you know, we've got some splits that we're we're looking at coming out of bins, some farmer issues. You know, maybe they thought it was dry and it's not, you know, that sort of thing. So just one of those really fun, adventurous kind of years for a cash grain broker like myself. Every day brings something different. And today, Angie, we had some private reporters announce that China has stepped back into the soybean buying game. Reports are, I believe, 180,000 metric tons. We saw the bean market up three cents in uh, both the January and the Nov 19 contract. How much longer can this bean rally last? What are your thoughts? <laughs> Do you ever watch Lily Wonka? You know, the fizzy lifting drink or whatever? Like, yeah. that's what I feel like beans are. Either that or uh, it, you know, the clown and the little sewer grate thing. We all float down here, Georgie. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it depends on the thing and which way they're moving, but... The bean market itself right now, I mean, obviously, you know, we are seeing China come in to buy. I think that uh, there is some optimism that the trade talks are going to work out uh, very well. Um, I did say something, though, on, on Twitter today about if, if you had tweeted that in last March that uh, Chinese-U.S. trade talks that were going well and that a resolution was in sight, you could basically have retweeted it every day and, mm. you know, been – event when it comes to headlines because that's been the story of the the year is that we're we're close to a solution here and and i hope that's true because i i'm i would really be i'm really looking forward to putting this all to bed but i think the biggest thing that we're seeing right now that's helping support the sea market and kind of pushing up us back up towards the high side that we saw um throughout the month of december is the idea that we are looking at a, a pretty solid reduction potentially in brazilian you know crop potential down there you know, from a 130, 130 million metric ton discussed here at the start of December, you know, just four weeks later here, now we have uh, some private analytical groups coming out, you know, closer to a 116, um, which is still a large supply. Like, don't don't get me wrong on that. That's still a big crop, um, you know, but it is a, a half a billion bushel below where we were thinking the crop would come in at, you know, four weeks ago. So it's a it's a big swing. Um, but like I said, still a, a very large crop. It would be the second largest crop Brazil's produced on record at 116. Um, and obviously, too, they did get some rain over this past weekend. So, you know, we all know what beans like. They like to be pushed around in the beginning, get a little bit of moisture in them, and, and uh, they can, can do work. But, um, it, you know, at this point, we are watching what's going on in South America as well and, and seeing some of that crop size reduced with, you know, some, some optimism over what's taking place in China. So that's helping to to push this bean market back up to levels that you know, we hadn't seen in, in almost a month and that are, I think, uh, presenting pretty fantastic opportunities for guys with beans in the bin on the farm and for, for some new crop sales. Angie, I, I want to switch tracks here for just a second. I've got to ask. We've seen China purchasing some rice now, and I know Minnesota, uh, Michigan is not an area of rice production, but what's going on there? Yeah. Are we going to see some acres transitioning around from rice to beans or beans to rice, or is this just an olive branch? I think it's an olive branch. I mean, it's it's obviously a positive move in the sense that they had never um, purchased rice from the U.S. before. So that's great um, for rice producers. And this growing season, or this harvest at least, the growing season was was dry. We had a nice wet, dry, wet sandwich. So we could have uh, definitely been rice producers throughout <laughs> the months of October and into to November, I think. But 
Um, you know, any sort of indication that that's going to take place or that they're going to come in and start to buy, I think, is a is a good thing. Um, you know, and, and so to see them kind of extend that olive branch, even if that's all it is, um, and say that they're going to start buying some some U.S. rice, I, I think is a is a positive thing. Um, though, you know, I'll wait and see. You know what happens and and how it actually works out. You know, as things um, kind of move forward. You know, it's easy to say they will do something. It is China, after all. Um, I'll I'll uh, be a believer when they start, you know, booking and, and taking these shipments here um, in the year ahead or years ahead anyway. Well, Andy, speaking of getting things on the book, you mentioned this is an opportunity for some new crop sales. Are you seeing a lot of your growers going ahead to lock in some percentage of their production already? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, I mean, we're sitting in the catbird seat, though, when it comes to basis. We have been. I, and my... My producers will lament on how terrible basis values are, and then I'll let them in on, you know, some of the Western Belt basis values and, and their tune changes a little bit. But we have a, a new processing plant going in, you know, less than 60 miles north of, of our elevator facility here that's going to be, you know, capable of processing about 40 million bushel of soybeans a year. That's that's life-changing um, for farmers in Michigan, and that means that, you know, right now guys are, are able to lock in, guys and gals are able to lock in, you know, nine, ten cash beans delivered into this facility for harvest time. So, um, you know, in addition to that, we have some food-grade um, non-GMO beans that, that we offer uh, through citizens directly as well. You know, they have a, a $2.50 premium on them. So that's above the, the Board of Trade, so that's $12 beans. So so we do have some guys uh, looking to book, uh, but we are, you know, one thing I do keep in mind is that it's in that is that we do have – um, a good enough basis to where we are beating through some of those brown psychological, you know, $9 sort of numbers on new crop and, and seeing some bookings take place. Same for corn. Most of it, though, is, is HTA business. Um, my customers, you know, we, we do a lot of, of HTAs, hedge to arrives, where we put the futures on. And then that gives us the flexibility to either roll it or use it for harvest delivery. And typically we see basis improve as we work towards harvest here. So, um, you know, allowing some of that flexibility has helped uh, make folks feel a little bit more comfortable with booking deferred. And I think we we feel as though, you know, there is enough downside risk in the bean market that, you know, 960 is a, a nice place to, to know that's the, the worst you're going to get. So a lot of my more aggressive uh, sellers out that way, though, are using, you know, re-ownership strategies via the OTC set up. And so, you know, they do have some upside exposure still available to them with the, the downside risk protected. So we're, we're seeing quite a bit of that as well. Angie, I want to talk a little bit about corn basis. We've seen ethanol back off substantially both in production and margins from ethanol facilities. What are you seeing as far as basis goes in your neck of the woods and then just across the country for uh, basis due to corn or ethanol impacts? Yeah, we're seeing, we're, we've seen basis improve in most places, um, you know, above where we were at, at at harvest time, which really is not a feat. I mean, harvest mm-hmm. values um, were the worst that I've seen them in the post-ethanol time frame. I mean, they were as wide at the start of harvest as what they were when we didn't have any ethanol players in the state of Michigan here. Um, we have seen basis firm. You know, like I said before, though, you know, our biggest struggle right now is bombs. So, we have some really good basis values available in some places, you know, even option to, to slight over, but you're going to get discounted 25 cents if your VOM slips above four. 
and a good portion of corn that's going into that facility, you know, runs that risk of above four, you know. And so um, there's this risk of, of being encouraged by this shiny, you know, beacon like a moth to a flame of a nice bid and only discovering that, you know, you're getting discounted. So I call that the, the crazy hot cash grain matrix. Uh, the, the better the uh. bid, um, the hotter the bid, the crazier the quality constraints you're probably going to run into. Um, so we're watching that, but, um, you know, basis-wise, we've seen some strength, but the struggle is right now is that ethanol plants make money in three ways. One is by selling ethanol, which, you know, we saw spot values hit 14, what, 14-year lows here just recently. RINs, the, the renewable identification number, and obviously with refinery exemptions and that market being all but gutted, you know, they're not getting any value out of those. And then distillers, and the problem that you have here, at least in the state of Michigan or Ontario, where you have these areas that um, are, you know, kind of inundated with bomb, is that once you process that corn, the the byproduct, the distillers, has a concentrated value of bomb in it. So you either have to discount it or you have to, you know, basically not sell it. So, you know, I worry about what it looks like for ethanol players going forward without some sort of drastic change and you know, my biggest hope is that we do see a Chinese solution and we find ourselves exporting a significant amount of ethanol um, that way, you know, in the months ahead. I, I, and maybe that's a pipe dream, but I think that's one of the only ways that we're really going to see, you know, these ethanol plants, you know, keep their head above water without seeing further shutdowns, you know, across the country. Angie, while we're talking corn, we've been talking soybeans. I want to get your thoughts on acreage nationwide based on what you've been talking to. I know you travel to a lot of farm groups across the country. What are you hearing? I've heard numbers of 83 million acres of soybeans, 85 million, 90 million. What's your gut telling you right now as we begin to look into January? My gut's telling me we don't see a substantial shift in in acres from this year to, to next year. Now, substantial is you know, the 80, what, what do we have this year? 90, 89, 90 to yeah. 83. I, we're, I don't see that happening, you know, even, even a little bit. Sorry, you know, to, to argue with, with someone who does not saying they're wrong, just saying I disagree. Um, you know, anything's possible, but I think right now, you know, like I said, looking at the values that we're seeing locally and, and in other areas, um, you know, if you're close to the Toledo market right now, you're looking at 930, 935 cash soybeans delivered in. So, well, there are obviously areas out west that are struggling with exceptionally wide basis values that may push them into other avenues of production. The eastern Corn Belt here has some significant processing capacity that's keeping them really interested in growing the soybeans. You know, I talked to a few different uh, higher ranking seed folks, you know, regional uh, folks, you could say, that are telling me that there's a, a slew of, of different uh, technologies that they offer that are already sold out when it comes to beans. Um, one guy in particular, you know, he's increasing his corn acres because it works for him, stated to me that he's actually really surprised at um, the aggressive pace of soybean seed sales that he's seen. So um, he thought for sure we would see a transition. So to me, I, I, I'm not saying that we see it stay as high as what it is, but I wouldn't be surprised to see bean acres come in, you know, 86, 87 um, million, you know, around that level where corn picks up a, a couple million. Maybe you see some, you've got to see what Minneapolis wheat does over the next couple, three months before you can put a fork in, in that, you know, planting structure out there. That's the, there's your wild card. I mean, North Dakota, what, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, where you saw the big acreage increases here over the last couple of years anyway. 
and they're the areas that, especially Western Minnesota particularly, but they're the areas that, uh, you know, really can make a make up their mind in March uh, as to what they're going to do, if spring wheat looks good or not. So there's uh, <laughs> a long way to go, but I just don't see the violent um, shift in acreage that a lot of folks were expecting. You know, I think that that conversation came about when we thought that we would see soybeans closer to to seven dollars than than ten dollars. Looking at the nineteen, Angie, I want to round it out here, talking a little bit more about the wheat market, specifically wheat exports. There have been a lot of analysts thinking, oh, we're kind of in, setting ourselves up here for a good export position for wheat. We've seen um, <laughs> issues in Russia, Australia, potentially weather issues in South America. Break it down for me, though. Are we really going to see that much of an increase in wheat exports if we have these issues? Because I think people forget that we're still sitting on a lot of wheat and we have a lot of wheat going around the world. Yeah, I mean, we have a a substantial amount of wheat here in the U.S. Um, Globally, uh, you know, of course, China's sitting on about 54% of the world's supply. So you remove China and, and the the wheat picture isn't as as rosy as it appears if you look at it from a face value standpoint. But yeah, we're I mean we're really kind of struggling. Anytime we get word that uh, we are seeing some export business come in, we see a significant rally. Like everyone buys it, we run up fifty mm-hmm. cents, and we're no longer competitive. Um, and that's one of the hardest parts that we've seen here. Um, you know, we started the year with soft red wheat. If, if you traded your spreads right from the March, you know, from Sept to March. Um, and into the May, there was 60 cents of, of carry to be offered. You know, at, 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 that covers a lot. You know, that covers a lot of risk. So you can kind of sit back and see how the market structure is looking. So I think the Toledo market in particular, when I, and that's, you know, honestly, wheat is such a specialty sort of setup. It's such a, a regional centric sort of, of, of crop that it, it, all I can speak on is, is what I know here you know, locally, and that is the Ontario wheat crop that should have been moving its way into Michigan or into Toledo, where Toledo had purchased basically all of their needs at the end of the fall because of the currency conversion rates and things that were going on. Um, you know, that Ontario crop needs to be used for feed. Their VOM issue is, is you know, basically uh, through the roof, and, and there's a lot of issues going on there. So you're going to see a lot of wheat fed. Um that's going to take away from the Canadian export availability. I mean, there's just, there's so many pieces, but at this point in time, we're not seeing the sales or export inspections that would be needed to, to, to get excited about, I guess you could say. So, I mean, there's a long way to go. We've got another six months and a lot can change over that period of time. But um, I think we really need to start seeing these numbers change. You know, once the government opens back up, we'll get a better idea, I guess, as to what uh, sales look like. But uh, we we need to see it sooner than later for me to get excited about an increase in, in exports, exports at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Angie Setzer, tell us how can listeners follow you, interact with you, perhaps hire you for a speaking event? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Goddess of Grain, um, or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. Perfect. Angie Setzer, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today and for breaking down this market outlook. Thank you for having me. And again, that was Angie Setzer. You can find her on Twitter. She's very active there at Goddess of Grain. Mike, where can folks interact with us on Twitter if they want to share their thoughts, feelings, comments, etc.? 
That's right. Comments, complaints, concerns go to at Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter, particularly if you're a Brazilian. We want to talk to you. But if you're just anybody else, we want to hear from you as well. Give us a holler there. Or you can check out past episodes on our website. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. It will take you right to the website area. And if you have been trying to listen on the website and it hasn't been working, give it another shot. I think we have fixed the problem. I was working with our crack team of computer experts earlier today, and we should have it solved. So you should be good to go. And Delaney, that's my good news for today. What do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.